there are some passages that just kind of flow and some messages just kind of come together. And then there are some that you kind of wrestle with. <laughs> this is one of those. Um, we're, we're at a stage here where we're going from these conversations that Job had with his friends, not very nice conversations from Job's perspective. Job answers his friends, but he also pleads to the Lord. And so we finish the first round of those and we're moving ahead to some other ones. But as we do that, I just wanted to pause and make some application this morning. We have gone through many times over the past several weeks, uh, nearly a verse by verse look at, at um, what we have seen in the book of Job. But there's a theme here that, that I want to bring out, and I especially want to encourage our young people to, to really try to, to focus on what we're working through here today, because I think that there's an important message for you in this. Um, but what we're going to be talking about this morning is uh, the more things change, and how would you finish that? The more they stay the same, okay? We, we have a, a very common phrase that we use. Is that not what we just read in Ecclesiastes 1? Okay, so just like Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun, right? But as we, as we continue, consider moving forward here, um, and, and we kind of have in the backdrop of the system of Job's day, the religious system of that day, um, God warns about and points out religious error throughout the word. He, he told the children of Israel things that they were not supposed to do, that they were not supposed to practice like those around them. We can fast forward all the way to the New Testament where you had New Testament writers saying, hey, here's some thoughts, here's some philosophies, here's some things that you've got to be aware of. And so that's kind of my purpose this morning is, 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 to, is to pursue some things from that perspective. So as we consider where we're headed, the first thing is man's pursuits are emptiness. Now remember, we couch this in Ecclesiastes with this idea that Solomon's talking about just kind of going through life without the Lord. So we read the full first chapter of Ecclesiastes a little bit earlier in our service, and the context is that the natural world, the sun, the wind, the water, mirrors the way man, what is spoken, what is seen, and what is heard, all come and go. They just, it's just, just like water comes and goes, and just like the wind comes and goes, different directions swirling around, people come and go. Solomon declared that there's nothing new under the sun. He isn't talking about cars or iPhones or advances in medicine. Of course, there are new things from that regard. But generations of people come and go, and there is no really new wisdom. We see things as new because the old generation has passed away. And generations that come after us will also be forgotten if, in fact, that's how long God tarries. The result of human effort alone is vanity, which means emptiness or futility. All right? Even if someone achieves all that they want to in life, they cross that finish line and say, look, I've arrived. What do we see all around us? It still doesn't satisfy. You have musicians and movie stars dying of overdoses. You have rich people saying, yeah, but just a little bit more or a little more power and influence or whatever it might be. And so on and on we can go. Oh, they've arrived. 
You're never going to. You're just never going to. It's not going to satisfy. And that's the whole idea. Without the Lord, ultimately, there is emptiness. There is futility in all of that. So that's our backdrop. I also want to remind ourselves of um, the religion of Job's day. And I apologize. I meant to reference this. I'm going to read it anyway. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And that there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us, and there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. So now let's remind ourselves of the religion of Job's day. Again, this is what we have been talking about for several weeks as we see his friends. And so again, review, but keeping this in our minds. Eliphaz, we called him the experientialist. In other words, his experiences were what drove his religious beliefs. Um, as we see that, let's look at one of the scriptures, Job 4, 7 through 9. Remember now, this is him speaking, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous ever cut off? Even as I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his anger they're consumed. And I know you've heard this a number of times, but just so we understand, and maybe there's some folks who are new, new with us today, the, uh, the whole system said this, good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Another way of saying that is, if we're doing right, God will bless us. If we're doing wrong, then we're going to receive cursings. We're going to receive the, the, the punishment for that. And, and that's just the rule of life. It happens in real time in real life. Eliphaz saw this taking place by his experiences, but there was also a bit of mysticism to what he believed, and that's a part of experience. Mysticism or, or these signs and, and different things that we might experience that are even what we might even call supernatural, so to speak. And what does he say here? Now, we're not going to go through the whole thing, but we're going to look at the, the introduction of what he said confirmed his beliefs. Now word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it. In disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, fear came upon me in trembling, which made all my bones shake. And then a spirit passed before my face. The hair on my body stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice saying. And what did that voice say? Good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Then we have Bildad. We called Bildad the traditionalist. And we see what he says as he's battling with Job and telling Job, look, you're a sinner. You're a bad person. You got to get things right because bad things don't happen to, bad pe to good people, right? For inquire, please, of the former age and consider the things discovered by their fathers, for we were born yesterday and know nothing, because our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words from their heart? In other words, get what you need from the past. Pull that forward. All these things that have been gathered together, this religious system, there's nothing wrong with that. There's everything right with it. You need to get in line. 
we lack knowledge. We have to trust, trust our traditions. And then Zophar the legalist. All we need to do is the right thing. We just need to follow the rules. Job 11, 13 through 15, If you put far away the evil of your hands and let no wrongdoing have a place in your tent, in other words, in your living, then truly your face will be lifted up with no marks of sin and you'll be fixed in your place without fear. Do the right thing and everything's going to turn out right. Now, every one of these things we have probably had explained to us before in a little bit different way, right? So these things are not completely foreign or completely uncommon to us. But what I want to do is take the things that we just saw, the things that we have studied and the things that we're carrying forward <clears throat> even into the next part of our studies and, and do something a little bit different this morning. And I want us to compare today's beliefs. Compare today's beliefs. Now, when I say today's beliefs, they might be, some of those might be long traditions. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Some of them may be more current. But there are several things, and you have, you have some, some uh, blanks there, so to speak, and A, B, C, and so on. And the first one is the religion of what goes around comes around. The religion of what goes around comes around. This philosophy is commonly known as karma. And that's actually a common term today. Karma is central to Hinduism, Buddhism, Taoism, and influences several other religions. So if we consider the major religions of today and what they believe, we're talking about nearly 2 billion people following this philosophy. In the West, we primarily think of karma as the results of someone's actions. But karma is more detailed than that. And let me just illustrate that for a minute, right? You're waiting for a parking spot and there's a good one at Meyer that's only just a few steps away from the door, and someone's backing out. You're like, oh, this is great. I mean, it's raining. It's just, you know, you want that spot. They pull out, but they're pulling out toward you, and as they pull out toward you, you don't see the other car, but someone on the other side of them pulls in and takes your spot. Oh, oh, ah, right? You took my spot. But... As then the person who left their spot now leaves and you're starting to drive, drive, you know, sadly, to find your other spot, which is going to be, you know, way in the back. The person gets out, you know, dings their car, you know, puts, puts, puts the, you know, their little lock on, gives you a knowing little wave because they got your spot. But as you're driving away, you see two carts being blown by the wind and nailing the other side of their car. And what do you say? Karma. <laughs> right? Now you shouldn't say that, but is that not a common thing? A common thing. They got what? What was coming to them. What goes around comes around. You took my spot, but look, the universe sent two carts right against your new, nice new car. Right? That's not all what karma is about. I'm going to define it for you through the Britannica Dictionary. Karma is the force 
created by a person's actions that is believed in Hinduism and Buddhism primarily to determine what that person's next life will be like. The f- and then the second definition is the force created by a person's actions that some people believe causes good or bad things to happen to that person. That was kind of like the cart illustration in the car, right? But, but listen, this is a, a life belief. This is something that people dedicate themselves to. The bottom line of karma is this. Our present life is a result of our present way of living and or our past life actions. That could also mean past lives. And folks, I'm not trying to get too crazy on you here. This is what they believe. Your previous life might have been a centipede. It all depends on what that previous life was. You see where I'm going? A person can change their karma through self-improvement. This is achieved by emptying yourself of what is negative and attaining harmony between your body, mind, and spirit and the world around you. This includes people and living things. The most devout Buddhist will not swat a mosquito. They won't stop a poisonous snake. They won't kill a poisonous snake. People who adhere to karma do not believe in a final, permanent heaven or hell. The only equivalent to heaven is enlightenment, which is becoming one with the universe. And very few achieve this. Buddha is said to have been one of them. Buddhists would say that Jesus was one who attained enlightenment. Good karma is a return on investment for possibly a better present life, but primarily a better next life or worse life if you have bad karma. Okay? So I want to go with you. And by the way, I'm not espousing any of this, folks, but what I'm going to say a little bit more in the future, but, but want to, in, in future of the message here, but want to instill in us is this. This belief system is permeating our society. All right? So this is what is called the seven-limbed prayer of Buddhism. Limbed or branches, same idea. And I'm going to read it for you. Uh, just so you know, there will not be a test on this. I do not expect you to understand much of this at all. But this, this goes to this philosophy. It is actually the core of this philosophy. Reverently, I prostrate with my body, speech, and mind and present clouds of every type of offering, actual and imagined. I repent all my negative actions accumulated since beginningless time and rejoice in the virtues of all holy and ordinary things. Please remain and I'm not sure at this point who we're speaking to, until cyclic existence ends and spread the Buddhist teachings for sentient beings. Okay? That means anything that knows it's alive. I dedicate all the merits of myself and others to the great enlightenment. (laughs) Yeah, that's a mouthful. Now, folks, I'm, I'm not trying to belittle anybody here, but I'm just telling you, this is, 
man, this is pretty wild stuff. I didn't want you to be staring at that the whole time. <laughs> Karma has influenced Western thinking through the New Age movement, a, brand, a rebranding of the Hindu and Buddhist teachings. Millions in the West practice things like yoga, Eastern meditation, and what is called chakras, spiritual healing. Chakras are those centers in your body that produce energy. And if you kind of keep them in, in, um, in, in alignment with yourself and and others and the universe, then you're going to be good. Um, I'm not making fun of this. I'm telling. I'm trying to give you an illustration. It's kind of like spiritual chiropractics, right? If you crack your body and it aligns, you feel good. Well, if you get your chakras in alignment, then life is good. All right. I found positive articles about karma on WebMD. Forbes Magazine, Psychology Today, The Cleveland Clinic, and Healthline. <laughs> yeah, that was a little bit of a shocker, wasn't it? Now, I also want to give you a real-time example. Technically, it's a time from, like, early in my life all the way up through now, but it's actually um, uh, accelerating today. And the example is Star Wars. Star Wars is steeped in Eastern religious principles. Now, I don't know that I'm going to sit here and try to draw the, the law down and say you shouldn't watch this, you can't watch this, it's entertainment. But be warned. Here's a few quotes from Star Wars. Okay? Now remember that seven-limbed prayer. These are quotes from Star Wars. You must unlearn what you have learned. You will know good from bad when you are calm, at peace, and passive. Folks, that's called meditation. I am no Jedi, but I know the force. It moves through and surrounds every living thing. Close your eyes, feel it. The light, it's always, it'll always be there. It will guide you. The force is not a power you have. It is not about lifting rocks. It's the energy between all things, a tension, a balance that binds the universe together. And by the way, when you think about all that stuff, that's yin-yang. That's that symbol of white and black, light and darkness. That's, that's what uh, karma and all these things say. There's a balance. Death is a natural part of life. Rejoice for those around you who transform into the force. And then lastly, you might even recognize who said this one. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. Now, we're going to let you chuckle for a moment, but listen to it again. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. Another branch of this is contemporary spirituality. Spiritual, but not religious. I'm going to read for you a couple of articles that illustrate this. And folks, this is where the rubber most meets the road because this is where a lot of folks are today and this is what is permeating our society our schools, our universities, etc. 
from 2018 article by Caroline Kitchener in Atlantic Magazine. Americans are leaving organized religion in droves. They disagree with their churches on political issues. They feel restricted by dogma. That's a, that's a not-so-nice word for doctrine, teachings, right? They're deserting all kinds of formal organizations, so it's not just the church. Instead of atheism, however, they're moving toward an identity captured by the term spirituality. Approximately 20% of Americans identify as spiritual but not religious. They reject organized religion but maintain a belief in something larger than themselves. That something can range from Jesus to art to music to poetry. There is often yoga involved. A Bowling Green State University professor who studies the psychology of religion said, Spiritual is also a term that people like to use. It has all these positive connotations of having a life with meaning, a life with some sacredness to it. You have some depth to who you are as a human being, end quote. As a spiritual person, you're not blindly accepting a faith passed down from your parents, but you're also not completely rejecting the possibility of a higher power. Because the term spiritual encompasses so much, it can sometimes be adopted by people most would consider atheists. While the stigma around atheism is generally less intense than it used to be, in certain communities, to say you're an atheist is still saying, I hate puppies. It's a taboo that can understandably put atheists, many of whom view themselves as warm and open-minded, on the defensive. So the term spiritual doesn't come with all that kind of baggage that atheism does. Excerpts from an article by Tom De La Casta. I butchered his name. It's okay. In BBC News Magazine, entitled Spiritual But Not Religious. Spiritual but not religious is a broad church, so to speak. The spiritually aligned range from pagans to devotees of healing crystals, among many other subgroups. But for millions of others, it's simply a feeling that there must be something else. Someone who practices mindfulness and meditation said, we're not worshiping a god or paying homage to something in the sky. It's about learning to accept things like impermanence and living in the moment. If you get a glimpse of how happy you can be by embracing the moment, all the chattering of your thoughts stops. A school teacher who practices paganism believes in a divine force in nature. And now we're quoting this teacher. I believe everything is connected. I feel very in touch with nature and the changing seasons. Awe is a very good word for how I feel. It's a sense of deep respect for nature. I can communicate with the deity. Folks, I really feel like this, religious, this is a religious equivalent of Build-A-Bear. Remember those being in the malls? Take your child in there. What do you do? You pick out whatever you want to stuff, and then you just stuff it. And that's what people are doing today. They choose what their stuffed animal is, and they just stuff it with anything they want. Because I'm spiritual. And how dare you tell me that my spirituality is wrong? How dare you come to me with absolutes 
Because what I do is fulfilling. What I do makes me feel good. What I do gives me purpose. The next one is the religion of good enough. The religion of good enough. Religions such as Islam that are labeled as, uh, and other ones that are labeled as Christian traditions like Roman Catholicism, Mormonism, and even Jehovah's, Jehovah's Witnesses teach a strict moralism. Now folks, I, I'm not here to bash, I'm here to compare, all right? I'm not trying to be like a jerk about all of this. It's in their writings. It just is what it is. If you ask them, are these weird Baptists over on the corner of this road and that road, are, are, are they right? They would say no. Okay? I'm just saying. Man is affected by evil but is still capable of good. That's what most of these religions would say. God is not pleased with those who reject him. But forgiveness is possible by believing in the right traditions, doctrines, and strictly following the right rules. That sounds similar to what we saw in Job. Didn't the previous category of religions sound similar to what one of Job's friends said? In other words, good works, right? That's what we're talking about. Follow the rules. Terms like repent, faith, salvation, even grace are often used but are not used in the way the scriptures teach. In other words, we can be morally good and morally good enough to reach what we would call heaven. And frankly, it has to be that way because there is no other alternative unless you turn to Christ. No one else offers what Christianity offers. That in and of itself does not make it a superior religion. We'll get to that in a minute. I want to read for you what is considered to be the, the, the basis. Like, like this is like our, our version of love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself type of idea. And this is coming from the Quran. By the way, I've confirmed what I'm going to tell you with two websites that are specifically for explaining Muslim, uh, Islam to other people. All right. The messenger believes in what has been sent down to him from his Lord, as do the faithful. The messenger, by the way, in capital M, is Muhammad. Okay? So the messenger believes what has been given to him, and the faithful believe what the messenger has been given. They all believe in God, his angels, his scriptures, and his messengers. Small m, those prophets that have come before. We make no distinction between any of his messengers. Now, I'm sorry, and again, I'm not, you know, I'm not who knows, my, my house could be bombed in a couple of days. I don't know. But I'm just going to tell you, that's not even true. That might be what their scripture says. That's not what they believe. Okay? Because they diminish Jesus, they diminish Moses, and they say they're the messengers. And they also diminish the Old and New Testament. We make no distinction between any of his messengers. They say, we hear and obey. That's they say as in the faithful say this. Grant us your forgiveness, our Lord. To you we all return. 
God does not burden any soul with more than it can bear. Each gains whatever good it has done and suffers its bad. Lord, do not take us to task if we forget or make mistakes. Lord, do not burden us as you burdened those before us. Lord, do not burden us with more than we have strength to bear. Pardon us, forgive us, and have mercy on us. You are our protector, so help us against the disbelievers. Now, let me just translate this a little bit. And again, this is something that I've, I've carefully looked at so that I did not misrepresent another religion. When they talk about this burden that, that God would not put on them is this. What they say is, God understands, he knows that we are weak. Just like it says there, we're going to make mistakes. But because we believe what he has sent to us, because we believe who he has sent to us, that's called doctrine, right? And we're doing our best to do the right thing. He's not going to burden us with perfection. He's not going to burden us with saying, you have to do everything right. That means that we can be good enough. If we just believe the right thing, and if we just do the right thing, then we'll be good enough. That's Islam. The next one we're going to look at is the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. That is your C. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Several of these influences come together in pop Christianity. We can um, what they basically say is you can affect your world, live a blessed life through what you do. If you think positively, then you'll be happy. If you give, then God is obliged to give to you. If you are good, then you'll be blessed with a good life and as defined by Western materialism. I mean, seriously, that's what they're selling. God's goodness resides in you, so if you simply believe in Jesus, you will go to heaven. All couched in manipulated scriptures and Christian terms. The false prosperity gospel incorporates a number of Eastern religious principles, elements of karma. If you do this, then God, in place of the universe, is obliged to reward you. Right? Have you not heard them say that? God's made promises. So if you claim those, obviously not having to fulfill anything on your own, but you know, God's got to do it. Visualization or intentionality. Set your mind to something and it will come to pass. You can make it happen. Right? Mind over matter. Supposed healings and miracles are couched in faith speak. They believe we can use faith to change our circumstances. If I just have enough faith, then this disease is going to disappear. An interesting difference is that the greatest focus of the prosperity gospel, unlike a lot of moralistic teaching, is not to glorify God, but to glorify themselves. 
The focus is on the present, not eternity. And yet it's sold as being Christian. So what do all of these beliefs lack? What, what, do, what do they lack? For many, there is no concept of original sin and the complete corruption of man. Um, if we think of what we call total depravity, right? Um, Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 says this, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. We know that's a quote from the Old Testament, but the point is this. We have a term for that, kind of a little bit of a heady uh, theological term, but it's total depravity, right? We, we cannot do anything good before God on our own. We're incapable because we are spiritually dead. That kind of goes against a lot of what you've heard this morning, right? It goes against a lot of what you might hear on the radio or in a movie or whatever it might be. Because of this, they miss the absolute helplessness and hopelessness that is the state of man as a sinner. Jesus is often considered a good moral teacher, but that is mostly polite talk so they can incorporate his teachings and what they want them to say. But is it good enough just to say that Jesus was a good guy? Not according to Scripture. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God. Not an image, the image. The absolute, perfect, exact picture of God. The firstborn of all creation, that is title, not first created. For by him all things were created that were in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. They hold together. They keep their form. They do what they're supposed to do because God, the Son, is all-powerful and in control of all things. Now, we need to be accurate and say that for some, it is a combination of works and God's great forgiveness or grace. But they neither provide uh, clear cri- they either provide no clear criteria for God's forgiveness or good works are required along with forgiveness and grace. In other words, you don't really understand exactly how to accomplish this or in order to accomplish it, there's things that you have to do along with it. Now, I could, again, I could stand here and I could tell you all the different things that some religions might do. That's not what our purpose is today. But if we look at Romans eleven six, 6, it says this, If by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, Work is no longer work. (laughs) In other words, you can't have them both. Son, daughter, I love you. Here's a birthday present. Now go mow the lawn in order to get it. 
is no longer a gift. For many of these religions, there is no outside provision for redemption. In other words, your ultimate rescue is through your own efforts and those efforts alone. The atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ either never factors in or it is not a complete solution for sin and salvation. Again, what do the scriptures tell us? Titus 3. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Let's let that sink in a minute. Because we just talked about who Christ is. When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. He rescued us through the washing of regeneration, making us alive, and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior, not having been justified by his grace, or that, sorry, that having been just by grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Amen. Not by what we've done, but by what he has done. Of course, what a person does to achieve either a good life or heaven depends upon their idea of existence, heaven, God, etc., Right? People may feel that they need to please a singular, all-powerful God or find harmony with the central force of the universe. They're searching and looking for all these different things. So the spectrum is very wide. But these are the things, and there's plenty more, but these are some of the core things that are lacking. So we started with works, experiences, traditions. Right? We're really ending with works, experiences, and traditions. And what we're now laying aside, and by the way, the scriptures tell us that's all emptiness. And now we're, we have laid aside some truths that point us to Christ alone, through faith alone. And that is given to us by grace alone, Amen. not by works. So now as we make some conclusions here, I want us to, to think through some things. And again, young people, I hope you stu stuck with me because I want to I share some things with you. But everybody, what are some of the things that we can take away from this? Some people might say, well, Pastor Scott, why did you give us all this information about other religions? We're here in church because we believe in God. We trust in Christ and we believe his word, the Bible. And what I would say is, that's a great question, right? First, I want to repeat what I said earlier. Religious error is pointed out and explained in various parts of scripture. I'm simply following suit. Second, a vital aspect of shepherding is to guard the flock. Some of our most vulnerable folks in our flock are our youngest because they haven't necessarily had all of these things um, uh, practiced in their lives and they don't have all the information that we do. And 
frankly, a lot of what society has today is focused on our young people. Why? Because they ain't stupid. They know, first of all, who they want to influence, and they also know who the future consumers are. And third, I wanted us to see that the general religious beliefs of our day aren't any different at their core than from the time of Job. Nothing new under the sun. We can spin it all different ways, but it's the same old garbage. It's the same old emptiness. I'm going to find my way apart from God's plan. Again, I want to take some time to talk to our young people, but folks, it's not that if you're not young, you can't listen. You should. Most psychologists and educators today think that we believe what we believe because of how we are raised. In other words, we believe what our parents believe. We believe what we are told. Now, I'm just going to tell you from my own personal experience. I was raised in a great home. But my parents basically did not receive Christ until I was in mid-elementary. I did not receive Christ until I was going into junior high. So, again, not, not that our home was terrible or anything, but I, I do understand the difference between a home that is not a Christian home and a home that is. As I heard about the claims of Christ, as I was exposed to Scripture, not once did it cross my mind, what, what would mom and dad want me to do? I mean, I was being blunt. I'm just telling you, it's, it's, it's my experience. It's, it's, it's what happened with me. But instead it was, my goodness, I'm a sinner. The Bible tells me that without salvation... I am going to spend eternity separated from the God who made me. Now, did I articulate it exactly like that back then? Maybe not. But I got the idea. And only by believing in what he did can I be forgiven for what I know I have done wrong. And no one had to tell me I was a sinner. Now, mom will tell you, and I mean this, she'll tell you, I was a pretty good kid. Like, I wasn't a lot of trouble. I'm not going to say anything about my brothers. But <laughs> See, you can overcome temptation. Okay? Anyway. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. But I was still a rotten sinner. Axe murder? No. Did, did, I, did I, you know, torture, you know, neighborhood animals? No. Did I burn people's houses down? No. Did I tell a lie? Yes. Did I get angry for no good reason? Yes. Did I disobey my parents? Yes. And there was a certain point in my young little life that I really had no regard for God. Let's move on. Today's system says that the world all around us and life itself is just a bunch of organized chemicals. Actions and reactions and a series of accidents. 
There is no room for a God who created all things. And by the way, who did we see in Scripture is the creator? Christ himself. There is no room for who determines truth and falsehood, right and wrong. There is no room for who made us in his image. There are messages all around you through what you see and hear that God's word is narrow and restricting. That real freedom is outside of what we would call Christian beliefs. Paul says in Romans that we are either going to be a slave to sin, to rebellion against God, or we're going to be a slave to God and righteousness. The first, the, the lie of the worldly freedom leads to death. The second, the truth of actual bondage to Christ leads to life, eternal life. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're saying that no matter which way I go, I can't be free? Well, it depends on what you call freedom. If you want to be free to die, if you want to be free to futility and emptiness, as what Solomon says, go for it. Lead your life, fill your teddy bear with whatever you want, and bow down to it. But if you want true freedom then you'll place yourself under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Young people, believing what your parents believe only because your parents believe it means nothing. That's called tradition. We aren't just luminous beings who need to connect with the universe. That's an example of mystical, spiritual experiences. And by the way, that any form of that. And it's also not just about following a bunch of rules and regulations to conform to some man-made standards on the outside. That's legalism. So I want to personally encourage you to put your faith in, to believe in the good news that Jesus gave his life for you. And again, that's a message for all of us, particularly those who may have never done this before in their lives, regardless of your age. This literally means, when we talk about faith, when we talk about believing, you take God at his word. You believe what he says. We call God's word the Bible, right? We believe what the Bible says. We believe that God gave this to us. And there's evidence of that as the message for us to understand. His personal word to us. But Jesus is also called the word, right? In John 1. The very word or expression of God made flesh. And, of course, the written word gives us a record of him. So not only did he write to us and tell us who he is, but in his grace, he came down. God the Son, the God-man, came down 
to literally live out, express who God is because he was God. All so that we could have life. A true faith trusts that what Jesus did on the cross took away the penalty for our sin. He took our punishment. Our punishment, our deserved punishment. But when we truly believe, as we receive our forgiveness, we should recognize Jesus as our God and our master. We repent or turn away from living for ourselves, and we live for Christ instead. In other words, it's not just having a philosophy. It's not just having some kind of a teaching, a tradition, but as a personal relationship where we understand Christ, you came to this earth. Jesus, you died for me. You gave your life for me. Your perfect sinless life. The only life that could be given. That's why there's no other religions that truly give us, if you think about it, a person. It's all a philosophy. It's all words. There's nothing outside of what you believe, meaning just the words, that gives you salvation. It's just the works that you do in all these other religions. It's all the effort that we put into it. And hopefully it's enough, right? I don't want to be turned into a monkey in my next life. You understand? But when we truly have faith in the Lord, when we truly place our full confidence in him, then we understand, okay, not only do I believe in who you are, let me put it a different way, not only do I believe that you're the Savior, but I also understand who you are as my God. And I am now going to place myself under your authority and I'm going to live for you instead of myself. Folks, for a lot of people, that's the rub, right? That's the rub. Remember the rich young ruler? We got just a couple of minutes here. Remember the rich young ruler? Remember that story? Young people, you probably remember that. What did, what did he ask Jesus? What, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, follow the rules. I thought you just, hang on. He said, I've done that from my youth up. In other words, I'm not perfect, but man, I'm, I'm, I'm living it, right? And they said, okay, there's one more thing. Take all your riches, give them away, and come follow me. The Bible says that the man went away sad. And by the way, the Bible also says that Jesus had compassion on him. But he went away sad because he was very rich. I want to know what I have to do, but I don't want to submit to your authority. I want to know what I have to do. I want to know how can I be good enough, but you're not going to be my God. I already have one. That's what he's saying. 
The heart's deceitful. And the world does everything possible to help you right along with that. Now, real quick, it's not just about salvation. It's about living this life that we now have in Jesus. And these same forces are out there to rob us of the joy of leading an obedient life by loving our God, by loving our Savior. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. As we consider these three friends, things did not add up for Job. And the reason why was because Job had some legitimate experiences that told him, wait a minute, this is how I've been living. This is who I am before God. But this is what I'm experiencing, and it doesn't line up with what? Good things happen to good people, and bad things happen to bad people. Our faith cannot be based upon our experiences. Whether that's the beginning of our faith in trusting Christ or living it out. If my faith today was dependent on some of the examples that I've had in my life, folks, I would not be standing here today. I'd probably be sleeping in this morning from a hangover, just to be blunt about it. Because I would have chucked this a long time ago. But it's not about my experience, not about what other people have and haven't done. It's about what Jesus Christ did for me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, all of us need your protection. But I pray, Lord, that we would flee to it. It's easy to say that we want your blessing. It's easy to say that we want to have your protection out in this world as we move out and, and live our lives and basically face what is out there. But Ephesians tell us, tells us that there's some armaments that we are responsible to put on. One of them being the helmet of salvation. So, Lord, if there's someone here who does not know you as Savior yet, maybe they've been relying on just what they've been taught as opposed to having a relationship with you. Or any number of things. Maybe they've been trusting in something or someone else. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll work in their heart and life even today. As only you can, Lord, draw them to yourself. Lord, if we have been influenced by what this world has to offer us, if we've been kind of secretly allowing some philosophies, or maybe even unknowingly allowing some philosophies to influence how we follow you, I pray, Father, that we really will beat those things back that will seek out your truth 
Sure, there are things that we need to do and follow. And yes, obeying you is part of that, but not all of the other added things that so many people want to give us. Sure, we're going to have experiences and circumstances, but they don't rule us. And yes, we have a tradition passed down. We have a, your word written. But it's not to be put along with a whole bunch of other teachings that other people have told us are truth when they really are not. Heavenly Father, may we understand that when we bind ourselves to you, that that is true freedom. You are not an unloving, horrible taskmaster. The world, sin, enslaves us, all for the purpose of literally working us to death. All those efforts, meaningless. Life is gone, and now we spend eternity separate from you. Heavenly Father, I pray that, again, every person here would examine their hearts as far as how they are following you. In Jesus' name, amen.